Well, good day and welcome to another episode here of the Disaster Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Davis, the pod medic, and it's exciting and fun to be back here with you all tonight. We've got a great show for you, as always, and I'm really excited about that. Of course, we have to jump in and bring in our co-host, Sam Bradley, who is uh, getting ready for Storm Central out there in Colorado, I understand. Well, I don't, I don't think this will be the worst of it out here, but we are going to find out. And unfortunately, poor Dr. Joe has a cold, so he's not able to be with us. But we have Mr. Dan, the meteorologist, and Mr. Dan, our guest, so we'll try to keep those straight, and Miss Becky. So, Dan, the meteorologist, what about this storm? You know, every I have a number of weather apps, and all of them say something different. So how is this going to hit us in, well, it sounds like it's going to go across the whole country. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's good news for a lot of the ski resorts, certainly, Sam, out west here, we, where we haven't had much snow at all. Um, and it's been a very uh, poor start of the season. The good news is uh, places in Utah, so the ski resorts in Utah, and then many of the ones in Colorado will get a good amount of snow in the mountains. It looks like those you head out of the front range and into Denver Metro on the I-25 corridor, though, it's not going to be very much. I think the best chance is north of Denver as you head up towards the Wyoming, uh, Colorado border. There's a pretty impressive all-time snowless streak on the line if um, the airport, which is the official reporting site right now, I think, in Denver, if they can get through the 12th of December without uh, accumulating snow, it'll be an all-time snowless streak. So uh, it'll be close, I think, on uh, tomorrow or tonight into tomorrow, whether any accumulating measurable snowfalls, but if it doesn't, it'll probably break the streak, pretty unusual uh, streak. And then the, the snow continues all the way up through uh, Nebraska, through uh, parts of Minnesota, like Minneapolis, and then as you head into Wisconsin, Green Bay, into the Great Lakes there. So a pretty wide swath of six to 12 inches of snow and south of that going to be some severe weather. Uh, could be a pretty nasty night. Uh, it looks like after dark Friday night. So uh, we, we, we don't like to talk about tornado potential uh, after dark, but that's probably what we're going to be dealing with on Friday night from Shreveport, Memphis, Little Rock, St. Louis towards uh, Louisville after midnight. So pretty nasty storm, pretty impressive storm uh, for the middle of December. It's funny how we don't associate tornadoes with winter weather, but I guess that can still happen. Yeah, it certainly can. There's sort of a second severe season. Uh, Obviously, the spring is usually the biggest severe season, spring, early summer, but uh, November, early December could still get uh, some of these types of systems. And that's what we're going to be dealing with here the next uh, 24, 36 hours. How about you guys on the East Coast? You're going to get any of that? I think we'll get some gusty winds on, on Saturday. And the really and, and the story is going to be the mild weather, too. It's going to be pretty warm ahead of this if you're south of this storm. So across the eastern half of the country where you're not getting snow, it's going to be pretty mild. And then next week looks like some just amazing record temperatures next week, uh, really across. Uh, oh, I see we hear a phone ringing. <laughs> uh, no worries. Uh, so a, uh, we'll have a pretty warm stretch of weather next week. It's going to be 10 to 15 degrees above the record high temperatures, not 10 to 15 degrees above normal, but 10 to 15 degrees above the records in places like Kansas City, Des Moines, Omaha, temperatures will be in the 60s and maybe lower 70s, which is pretty uh, amazing and unprecedented for December. Well, Jamie, you're getting 70s this this week. Yeah, I saw one prediction and we might hit 70 on Saturday. So it'll be interesting to see if we get there Um, because it's pretty cold right now. So it's right right around 30. So 
We'll see. Yeah, it'll probably get there. It'll probably get there. Or at least it'll be in the sixties. It's going to be up and down here the next uh, week and a half. A pretty, pretty weird December weather pattern. If you ask me, not, not one that I've seen recently. Well, that seems to happen every, happen every year. There's weird weather patterns. It's, it's becoming the new normal as they say. Um, Miss Becky, you have anything you want to add to that? Well, I can pop over to the other coast, the West Coast. Um, they're going to be getting a pretty significant system coming through starting this weekend into early next week. A lot of heavy rain and snow, uh, flash flooding. Obviously, that's not good for places that have burn scars because there could be a risk of mud splide, mudslides, washouts, flooding. Um, but, uh, you know, the rain generally is is good news for places that are affected by the drought. Let's just hope it's not too much. Um, but certainly going to impact travel. It's going to, you know, slow things down out west. So it's really just pretty active weather all across the country for the next several days. Well, I was talking to a friend of mine who just got back from Hawaii, and I said, oh, how was it? And they said there was like 15 inches of rain and flooding. So I guess. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Hawaii had a very active past few days. There were blizzard warnings on the top of the high peaks there, which is not, you know, particularly unusual. It happens a couple of times a year, once every couple of years. Um, but yeah, they definitely had some some really heavy rain from what's called a Kona low. That's just the way the the wind sets up that just brings in a ton of moisture to the region. I saw some some flooding images too. Dan, what you got on that? Dan, back to you. Yeah. Oh, this phone, man. You can't, you never, I really can't get to the mute button when I want to. Um, yeah, they, they had over, I think they, they had over eight or nine inches of rain in Honolulu. Uh, they definitely had more in some of the terrain as you head north of Honolulu. And some of that, it actually had been really dry too. There was a drought in Honolulu. Um, and this certainly broke that, uh, their normal precipitation for the entire month of December, um, in Honolulu is two inches and they received, they've received nine and a half so far this month. So they're 438% of their normal. So definitely wet and, uh, unfortunately caused a lot of flooding, a pretty unusual setup out there, but, uh, they didn't need the rain. They just didn't need that much of it. And again, weird weather. So Dan Zayner, how was the weather where you are? Well, about, about typical for Indiana changes every five minutes. <laughs> Sounds like Colorado. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been uh, you know cold cold in December. We haven't had any snow yet, so uh, fingers crossed that we'll get something something white this way before Christmas. But generally, it hasn't hasn't been uh, been too bad. A little so, a little windy and 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 somewhat chilly, but you know we've gotten down to the low teens and wind chill one day. It was kind of odd, but uh, today's kind of mid forties to low fifties and. A little gray and windy, but nothing nothing too out of the ordinary for December in Indiana. So Dan won. Is he going to get any of this snow? Uh, not in Indiana. You're more likely to get thunderstorms tomorrow night, and some of those could could be pretty pretty nasty with damaging winds. So I think that's where yeah. we have to look out for there tomorrow night, and then it turns warm again next week. So no snow in the near future, but uh, we still have some time before Christmas to get a snow event. If only Dan had a wind tunnel. If, if only Dan had a wind tunnel to test the wind strength on his home. Yeah. Yes, we'll be talking about. <laughs> How convenient. 
Well, that's a good segue, Jamie. We'll just do that. Well, thank you, Dan, the meteorologist. I know you got to bail out of here pretty quick, but we're going to keep Becky here with us. Well, that's interesting. At least, you know, the weather just seems so kind of boring here lately. So I'm glad, you know, I hate to sound like I love inclement weather, but, you know, when you're a weather junkie, that kind of goes with the territory. So <laughs> who likes boring weather? As long as it gets us out of out of its system before I've got to drive to New Orleans on Saturday. <laughs> yeah. So so Dan Zayner, um, first of all, reintroduce yourself, and then we'll talk about that wind tunnel. Yeah, it's good good to be here again. Thanks for for being flexible and uh, <laughs> let me flex to, the, to tonight. Good to be with you. Um, um, coming at you from uh, beautiful Lafayette, Indiana, at, where I work at Purdue University for a uh, National Science Foundation sponsored research center called NARI, the Natural Hazards Engineering Research Infrastructure. It's a bit of a mouthful, um, but we're the, the network coordination office here and work with 12 different universities across the country in the natural hazards engineering space. Um, so preparing society, especially large infrastructure um, for hurricanes and earthquakes and tsunami and coastal erosion, all sorts of things like that. Hmm. Yeah, the, uh, the response organization I work for is contracted with the state of Louisiana, and they're, at the moment, still dealing with COVID camps and such and so forth. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty pretty nuts down there. We had um, a, a number of teams deploy from our, our rapid reconnaissance group um, from the University of Washington and a few of their partners down to, to New Orleans after Hurricane Ida, and it was just amazing that increased exponential level of logistics that they had to go through with oh, yeah. going on. Well, and that was right in the middle of the, the COVID issue, too, of course. So, yeah. You know, you always have multiple things going on like that. So so how does one transport a wind tunnel? Well, as, if it's small enough in the back of your forerunner, which is what I'm going to be doing. <laughs> uh, so... Uh, I'm working with the great folks down at Florida International University to build a scale wind tunnel. It's only seven feet long uh, and can come apart and fit in the back of a truck. Um, and we're taking it down to the American Geophysical Union fall meeting uh, in New Orleans to show all the scientists and, and grad students and industry professionals there about the wonderful stuff we do at NERI. And we're right by the beer and USGS, so we should be in a good spot. Hmm. Sounds very cool. So, what cool things has Neri been doing? Oh my! Um, the coolest. I was I was talking with my my friend Kurosh Lofizada out at uh, University of California, San Diego. They are finishing up a 18 month long project, upgrading their shake table. Um, so, the facility at UCSD is the world's largest outdoor shake table. The only restriction in height is the FAA. And it's 30 feet by 40 feet um, in terms of area. And you can put 10 million pounds of stuff on it. And they've been upgrading it to go from a two degree of freedom uh, shake table, basically be able to go back and forth to a six degree of freedom shake table. So you can go back, forth, left, right, up, down, and rotate really fast. <laughs> so they can, they can uh, simulate... Uh, very realistic earthquake conditions for full-scale buildings. And one of them that they're going to be doing next year, uh, it's called the Tallwood Project, um, led by the Colorado School of Mines, and there's about 20 different organizations involved. 
but they're putting together a seismically resilient building that's made all out of wood and has some really interesting features in it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's 10 stories tall. <laughs> okay. Well, Jamie wants in on that point. Yeah. I, I mean, it's just amazing. I mean, they had the, they had a great shake table to start with, but I mean, there's so many different ways that, that earthquakes can, can exert forces on a building that I guess they needed to, to really create something that could, could create something much more dynamic. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, it was, it's, it was wild. He was showing me a video of them just doing the empty table. They're, they're in the middle of their commissioning testing with their, uh, their contractors. And the thing was rocking around like a boat in a, you know, a sea swell It was crazy. And the, the, just the plate itself to give you an idea. So this 30 foot by 40 foot thing is 330,000 pounds and they're rocking all over the place really fast. I think it can move nine feet a second. Well, that sounds like anything, uh, you know, Disneyland couldn't outdo on it. <laughs> no, yeah. That sounds I, I mean, scary. If it weren't for OSHA regulations, it'd be a heck of a uh, joyride. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, I remember seeing something flash by, and I wish I'd written it down, but there's some place, maybe Becky knows, in the, I think, the Northwest that's had, like, this huge number of smaller tremors. Yeah, right off the coast of Oregon. Hours. It was at coastal Oregon. Yeah, yeah. So what's going on up there? Thankfully, nothing had to do with the Cascadia subduction zone. So thank goodness for that. Um, but it's a it's a fairly seismically active area, so nothing extremely out of the ordinary uh, for for that particular region of the world. But uh, you know, given what could happen up there, it is you know slightly concerning. The Blanco fracture zone. Thanks, Becky. Very um, good. Yeah. So. Um, the, the Pacific Northwest is a, a concerning area for, for seismically interested people because of um, something that is not active, that um, is, is called the Cascadia subduction zone. And if that lets go, it would uh, trigger a very large tsunami all along, along the West Coast and do a whole lot of damage, which is partially why Neri exists to... Uh, try and mitigate some of the damage that that's going to happen when that happens. And we're, I've, I think over a hundred years out from the last time it happened and, and we're, we're due. So um, not to be alarmist or anything, but uh, you know, that's the interesting realities of, of uh, seismically active areas. We don't really know when, when they're going to go, um, but we just know that they do on a somewhat regular cycle. Is that when uh, Arizona becomes beachfront property? <laughs> Almost. Uh, I, more like Idaho, but yeah. Oh, my. Well, uh, you know, of course, when you live in California, you hear that all the time. But And the fact that we're overdue. But, you know, everybody thinks of earthquakes and thinks of California. You don't think about Oregon or the new Madrid Fault or anything mm-hmm. else. Do you have faults? Yeah, which is not too far from where I'm at here, which is... Yeah, a slightly frightening prospect. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can handle it. They yeah. have anything like that in Maryland, Jamie? We we get an odd tremor now and again, nothing too strong. But it had me thinking, Dan, that that you know, there's the building codes vary in different parts of the country because of the expected you know stresses that will be put on a structure. And um, we uh, we don't necessarily have earthquake resistant structures here 
in on the East Coast necessarily. No. I know the last time there was an earthquake here of any strength at all, it actually caused some cracks in the Washington Monument and some other major buildings, you know, just some yeah. things that required I that. inspection. I was I was up in Connecticut when that happened and we felt it there. Um that was that was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> it follows you. So yeah. Bex, you got anything in uh, Pennsylvania that you are aware of? No, I know the the one you were just talking about that it was in Virginia was felt uh, in central Pennsylvania. But other than that, no, we're a relatively calm area for natural hazards. <laughs> and that's why a meteorologist moved there. <laughs> <laughs> that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah, there is some comfort. <laughs> well, you don't think about that. It's like, well, where would meteorologists choose to live? The place that has fewer weather issues. So now yeah, we... that's boring. Depends on the meteorologist. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta like, I don't know. The word I, I, yeah, our most severe hazard, probably outside of severe weather, which doesn't happen that often, is is ice storms, I would think. Yeah. And those can be nasty. Oh boy. Um so, Dan, is there any, other than where Becky lives, Dan, is there any place in the country that does not get some earthquake activity? That's a good question. I'm not really sure. You know, you begin to wonder, because, like I said, it's, for so long it was focused on California, and then you started hearing about the New Madrid, and now it seems to be popping up all over the place. So, like, is the whole country just going to kind of fall apart and... Bex, what do you think? (laughs) Well, so I lived in Kansas for a time, um, and in recent years, Kansas and Oklahoma have seen uh, a lot more, or an increase in earthquakes, usually smaller scale, fours, threes, things like that. But Dan, do you know the consensus fracking? Is that what's causing those? Yeah, I was going to say, at least in in my circles, is is, uh, many of those are, are caused, or at least... Maybe not caused, but, but but partially related to um, hydraulic fracturing. Yeah. So in theory, if that's occurring in other states, that there could be. Oh, I have no idea where fracking occurs outside of Kansas. I think Alaska is one of those areas, isn't it? Yeah, a little bit. Fracking hmm. has become a, a bit less um, popular, I guess, in the last the last few years. It's become uh, the the industry has taken a bit of a downturn. Well, there's a lot of people that have issue with it. Just yeah, exactly. Talking about here. Plus, yeah. it's just it's just not very profitable. It's it's extremely resource intensive. Yeah. It, well, and and we don't want our states seceding from the union physically. <laughs> right. <laughs> if you get my drift. Anyway. Yeah. So I'm just gonna keep you in business. That's for sure. So what else is that's there? for sure. Oh my! Um, well, some some other things. So, in the project-wise, um, my goodness, everybody's been extremely busy as as we always are. Um, Oregon State University has been doing some interesting things with testing um, in their full-scale wave flume. So they have they have two big wave tanks out there. One of them is called the wave flume. It's more of a channel that you can you can do kind of two D testing of tsunami waves, so really, really tall, really long waves. And then they have the wave basin, which is kind of like a uh, two Olympic swimming pools next to each other. And they have, I think, 29 individual paddles at the end of it, so you can really tune the, the wave environment. 
Um, but one of the tests they've been doing there um, was looking at the effect of mangroves on coastal erosion and storm surge, just to see if these you know, vegetated environments actually dissipate the, the wave energy and protect the, the coastline from erosion and protect the structures that are in the built environment on the coast. Um, and it was just a really interesting, a very beautiful test as well. They had all these things with spindly legs and you know, root <laughs> structures, and it was really cool. Um, spindly legs. You might have wrong or right about that, Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, no, and, yeah, it and it's like interesting. Things almost. <laughs> well, I know it's, it's interesting that all the things that that the different parts of Nary come up with to to test their areas of expertise. And how that all comes around full circle into infrastructure changes that will help hopefully make our communities more resilient. Yeah, and and the the more we go on, and you were talking about building codes dip being different in, in different areas of the country. Is is in some areas um, like Texas, though they have decent building codes, they don't enforce them because. Texas, we love our guns and we love our republic and we love our independence and we don't want anybody to tell us what to do, even when it's the, the right thing to do in terms of, uh, you know, paying attention to building codes for um, especially hurricane prone areas like Houston. Um, and we're, we're starting to see some of that very slowly change as, you know, they're, they're learning the hard way that building codes aren't there to, you know, encroach on your freedoms. They're there to protect people's lives. Um, and you know, finally, it seems like people are learning that um, after after the cost of many lives and tens of billions of dollars worth of damage. So it's a uh, it's it's you know those of us in the scientific community would like it to be as simple as well. We just get better building codes and and people will adopt them, but that's not always the case. Well, I don't know if we've talked to you since the condo collapse. That, oh my, no. That Joe was involved with, but I wondered what your take was on on that and why that happened. Yeah, I wasn't intimately involved in it, but I know a number of my colleagues were. Um, and I, it just seemed to be another, um, you know, Florida, similar similar to Texas in decades past, though they're they're very much um, improved now. Um, you know, they, they didn't have very rigorous building codes so that they could build a lot of structures very quickly and cheaply. And Unfortunately, this is this is the result when you build a lot of structures quickly and cheaply. Amen. It didn't sound like the ground was very stable either. Yeah. But, you know, Joe reflected to us that that was probably one of the most unpleasant situations he was ever in. And he's been in just about every major disaster just because yeah. of the loss of life and the fact that it shouldn't have happened. And I... I hope yeah, they're exactly. looking strongly at what failed. So maybe yes. that might might drive some change in building codes or whatever needs to happen. That that was just yeah. amazing. Yeah, I hope so. Um, some of the other things that are interesting that are happening, I know I'm picking a lot on OSU, um, but um, between Oregon State University, um, UC Davis, and uh, some some partnerships there, there's some really interesting bio-inspired and also bio-mediated natural hazards uh, solutions. So what, what I mean by that is there's bio-inspired, so inspired by nature, some things that, that uh, researchers are looking at 
to mitigate the effects of natural hazards. One of them, it's got a kind of a funny name, but it's called the Emerald Tutu. <laughs> what? Uh, yeah, I, I can't make this up, even if I wanted to. Um, it's a, a biomechanical barrier in the Boston Harbor to protect the city from storm surge. Um, it's some investigators from MIT working at, at OSU, and they're essentially building these these floating structures that will ring um, the, the Boston Harbor with um, uh, vegetation, really. Um, it's, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> and so they, they're looking at uh, the effects of climate change and sea level rise on, on Boston and, and trying to do something about it to reduce the, the flood risk there. Um, and also um, focusing on, on green infrastructure, um, so they're incorporating the the best that they've got in terms of, of technology, as well as uh, things that we we find in nature, like vegetation, and uh, you know they're they're basically putting together these interlinking fiber mats that that float, um, and so they'll have marsh grass and seaweed attached to um, a human built uh, structure to to try and dissipate energy so we got some interesting things like that trying to picture that yeah um imagine you know those the lane markers at your at your local pool like the, those pool floats yeah imagine those in a ring around a harbor so in in concentric circles almost but kind of like ripples floating out and then in between each of those you have something kind of like a uh, like a carpet but essentially, um, it's these woven mats that then they plant grasses on and on top of and let seaweed grow below. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Because the technology, it's, it's interesting reference for that technology because I, I, I was a swimmer. My kids were all swimmers. And, you know, those lane lines between the lanes in, in a competitive swimming environment – have baffles built into them to keep the the wave motion from the, the adjoining lane from impacting the speed in your lane, um, and so uh, and they it's pretty interesting to see how that works and how they're designed and I can only imagine how how that would be applied to a larger scale for things like storm surge. It's it's pretty fascinating to see that kind of thing um, expand outward. Yeah. Um. There's also a, a pretty interesting organization that's uh, got a very long name. It's the Center for Biomediated and Bio-Inspired Geotechnics, or CBBG. But they are doing some really interesting stuff that's going to play into a lot of uh, what we were mentioning earlier, that Cascadia subduction zone. When that goes, um, a lot of the soil, especially around areas like Portland, Oregon, it's very saturated with water. And when there's soil like that that has a lot of water in it it will do what's called uh, liquefaction you guys have talked okay. about that show before and imagine if liquefaction occurs in a place that stores a lot of petrochemicals in pressurized tanks it would probably be a very bad day and we have an area just like that in the port of portland oregon where all of these um you know natural gas uh, storage facilities and uh you know, various petrochemical storage facilities are for the the industry and infrastructure of uh, the coast of Oregon. 
And there's a, a research team through CBBG, a number of, of researchers who are looking into um, actively injecting things into the soil that will change the bacteria in the soil so that it will desaturate it. So it will um, bond the grains of soil together better so that it won't liquefy. Oh, I didn't know and they found some chemical and biological processes that you know are, are naturally occurring. They just change and accelerate them um, to essentially create a desaturated soil that's more resistant to liquefaction. And you don't have to change the built environment that's already there. You just inject this stuff uh, around your structure and you're able to uh, mitigate the effects of liquefaction pretty uh, effectively. So you have to be a little bit of a biologist, an oceanographer, and a, man, and a meteorologist. <laughs> you, well, you yeah, so touch that's on all of natural them. hazards has got a, you've got a, uh, you've got room for all, all stripes. You know, you, you can, you can approach it from the, the structural engineering side or the geotech side or the mechanical engineering side or social science or, or, or anything in between. Um, you know, any, anywhere where, where the built environment and, and people living in it interact with uh, natural hazards, um, we've, we've got lots of work to do. <laughs> yeah, and thank God there's somebody out there doing it. I mean, yeah. other than people that listen to this podcast, um, I bet a lot of people, most people don't know what you guys do. And that's yeah. pretty important. Really. Yeah. Any well, we're to change that with um, the conference that I'm driving down to in a few days here. Yeah. Um, uh, one more project I want to highlight because I'm building a uh, small-scale demonstration for it as well. Um, it's called the the Tallwood Project. I mentioned it earlier, but I, I wanted to get into more detail because it's just so cool. Um, they're working with this technology called cross-laminated timber. So imagine plywood, but instead of sheets of veneer, it's two-by-fours, so a very sustainable material. And they're making this seismically resilient structure that kind of acts like those, you know, those toys that are uh, push puppets. So it's a little, you know, figure with wires and tension in it, and you press down on the bottom, and it flops all over. Okay, yeah. You let it go, and it pushes back, back up. The building acts like that. It has walls that rock, and the connections between the beams and the columns are pinned, so they can rotate a little bit, and the whole thing will flex when it's under uh, earthquake shaking but it has wires that run all the way from the bottom to the top that are in tension and it keeps the whole thing together and it centers it right back into its normal spot when the shaking stops with minimal damage. Wow. We got to hear really cool more about that. Is it, as you're working on it? That's yeah. So I'm, I'm building a one foot tall and uh, one foot square two-story version of that to bring to the, the AGU conference down in, in New Orleans. So if anybody listening is hap happening to go there, we're in, in booth 545, uh, as aforementioned, over by the beer. Not that uh, that's a bad thing. So Yeah, you know, I'm, we, I'm we getting a think. sense I'm getting a sense that the USGS are kind of party animals too because you mentioned both <laughs> them and the beer. Yeah. So in the we, same we, sentence, yes. I, I'll take I'll take a little bit of credit. We we got the best booth location. We're on the way to NASA, right next to USGS, and and right across from the refreshment table. So we're we're in prime real estate. <laughs> For real, God, I love talking to you, Dan. You crack me. <laughs> Likewise, it's always a fun time. 
So Becky, any thoughts or questions for uh, for Dan as we wind up? It's just the stuff is so cool. I'm I'm going through the website now and looking at the the videos of the the construction and all the photos and stuff, and it's just really encouraging to see this kind of work being done. Um, you know, I wish we would have had this you know a long time ago, but it's good that we have it now. It's good that we're doing things like the emerald skirt was that what it was called and yeah, i mean there's too, yeah. <laughs> so many places that are going to be able to benefit from that you know you think about places like charleston that are flooding daily now from thunderstorms in miami and yeah, is that something that can work down there i i don't know but there's people so. thinking about these things so that's good yeah well it's nice it's to know really they're being cool. proactive too i mean if this had happened in you know before katrina <laughs> Okay. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. So maybe there are now, but anyway. So, Jamie, what are your thoughts? Well, I, I just um, am really happy to always have Dan on the show. Um, and we always learn something new. We always find out some more fascinating things that are going on that ultimately are, are there to to help all of us live safer lives. Um, in, in the in and around the environments in which we live, and and that's just always so cool. So Dan, thanks so much for coming back on the show, and just sharing a little bit, uh, a little peek under the hood of what Nary's up to. Yeah, my, my pleasure. And as, as always, uh, gotta give a, a shout out to our, our friends at the National Science Foundation who uh, graciously give me a job a job to <laughs> be able to <laughs> to come to you guys and and work with all of my great colleagues at at Purdue and beyond. Um, it's, it's been, I, I was just reflecting, this is the longest I've ever been at in with any organization, <laughs> which must be a good one then just, just speaks volumes. It's a really great place to be. Um, and looking forward to, uh, we just got our new grants back in October. Uh, so we're re-upped for another five years and, and really looking forward to, um, everything that's, that's coming. Well, thanks for coming on. Um, where can folks find out more about what Nary's up to? And and maybe I know there's ways they can keep in touch and and even participate in some regards. Yeah, um, the the one stop shop is designsafe-ci.org. Um, that's our our main website, um, and you can also find us on Facebook and Twitter uh, at Nary Design Safe. Um, and we do a host a podcast called Design Safe Radio, which um, the past couple episodes, I must say, are pretty good. Um, we had actually a guy talking about CBBG, if that was an interesting thing for you. Jason DeYoung from UC Davis. Uh, check out that that uh, interview. It was quite fun. So um, those would be the main places. Um, make sure when you go to our website to check out our Slack channel. Um, it's free, open to the community, and you can follow along with every, all the research that's going on there. There's channels for any time people go out into the field for hurricanes or other field deployments they're, they're posting pictures and uh, all their data and, and things like that so there's there's lots going on in our, our slack community all the time and if you happen to be in new orleans next week december 13th through the 17th come say hi uh you can play with the shake table and the wind tunnel and the wave tank <laughs> and uh, be happy to see you be careful with that beer Dan. Uh, yes i just now i want to go to new orleans now i want to be there <laughs> oh before i forget if you if you aren't going to New Orleans for for whatever reason, but still want to get involved, there is a virtual option to attend AGU. So uh, check that out as well. Um, I believe it's just agu.org. We'll, we'll get you there. And uh, even the virtual conference is still pretty good. Although you won't get to have a beer with me. So, you know, 
there is that. But <laughs> the, uh, the the virtual conference is still well worth um, attending if you're interested in anything geoscience. Um, it's it's a really great organization. Very cool. So you're getting Becky more and more interested. Yeah, Becky, it'd be. I mean, you should definitely check it out. <laughs> I will. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on, Dan. Appreciate it. I um, also want to give a shout out to Dr. Joe, who couldn't be here tonight. But, um, you know, the folks at Paragon Medical Education Group are um, our generous sponsors. They help keep the disaster podcast coming to you guys each and every week and get us the opportunity to bring on awesome guests like Dan to come on and talk about what's going on with his programs and, and with Nary and all the other things that are happening out there in that universe. So um, I hope folks will check them out at paragonmedicalgroup.com and also over at paragonmededu on Twitter. And of course, there's links on disasterpodcast.com as well. So please follow up with them. Uh, Becky, where can folks find you and Dan? (laughs) They can find me on Twitter at WX underscore Bex. They can find Dan at WX Depot, D-E-P-O. And we're both on the Disaster Podcast Facebook group. Awesome. Sam, how about you? Indeed. Um, All of those places under Sam Bradley or Sam Bradley 11 and Jamie. Well, you can find me under the handle Podmedic in most social media locations, so I hope you'll catch up with me and um, look me up there. Uh, Also want to make sure um, you head over to DisasterPodcast.com where you can subscribe to the show. There are links right there below the audio player for iOS and Android devices. Uh, Subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of the great episodes we have coming up as we wrap up our year 2021. And jump into 2022. We'll have some um, retrospective episodes and um, some episodes looking forward as well as to what we can expect in the coming year. So uh, you definitely want to make sure you stick with us through the end of the year and into the new one. Um, Anyway, uh, Sam, thanks for lining up Dan to come on tonight. It's uh, always great to have him stop by. It certainly is. And as busy a guy as he is, he manages to find time for us. So, and you know, it's, it's really great, Jamie, for people to understand there's organizations like NERI that are doing all this research to provide safety for people, but just a reminder with winter coming or that could be as early as tonight, you know, look at your own preparedness issues and and make sure you follow them. 